Amen. Can you guys give Lauren a hand? Thank you, Lauren. All right, it's good to see you guys. Welcome to church. Uh, my name is Josh. If we haven't met, uh, it's great to have you with us today. Uh, it's going to be a great day. Uh, we are jumping back into a teaching series uh, in the Gospel of John. We've been going through the first couple chapters of the Gospel of John. So if you guys have a Bible with you, now would be the time to open that up and uh, to find John chapter 2. You can find uh, the passage that Lauren just read for us. That's where we're going to be today. The series is called, I Believe. I Believe. Um, so, what we believe matters, right? Um, I believe that your life, our lives, tend to head in the direction of the things that we think. And we're not captive to our thoughts, right? We have the ability to choose what we believe and what we don't believe. Uh, John's whole point in the Gospel of John is that we would believe. He says at the very end of his Gospel, I've written all these things down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you would have what in his name? Anybody remember? You'd have life in his name. Anybody want life? Anybody? Excited to have life, the life that God gives, life that God brings. And so that's what John wants us to have. He wants us to believe and to know what he knows. And uh, one of my favorite all-time quotes, I'm going to ask you guys to, <laughs> I almost said put on your thinking caps. I did say it anyway, but uh, I want you guys to, this is going to be, uh, it's going to challenge you to think. I want you guys to think. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by A.W. Tozer. Um, and he said this, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not at what at any given time he may say or do, but what in his deep heart he conceives God to be like. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God, this is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing question or thing about the church is her idea of God. So what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I don't know if you agree with that statement or not, but I think it's true. So let me ask you the question. You can just think about this. Uh, but what comes into your mind when you think about God? When someone says God, and when you think about God, what mental image comes to your mind? Do you think about somebody uh, who is angry, right? Do you think about somebody who is kind and gracious? What we're going to look at in today's passage is what I would call the surprising or the extravagant grace of God. The passage that Lauren just read for us is the first of seven miracles that John records in his gospel. Each of them has a purpose to them, to reveal something to us about who God is. He wants us to know who God is. Um, it was interesting, in the first century, when you said God, people didn't automatically think of the God of the Bible, did they? In the first century, there was lots of gods. There were Greek gods, there were Roman gods, there were all kinds of different deities that people worshiped, and so they had to describe specifically who is this God that you're talking about, and I think we live in a very similar culture now, don't we? It used to be that in America, you'd say God, and everyone would know that you're talking about the God 
of the Bible, right? The Christian God. But it's, culture's changing. So it's more, even more important when we say God, that we describe or that we talk about who is this God? Who is God? So John is revealing that to us through the miracles that he presents in his gospel. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever been surprised by grace? Have you ever, and have you ever been surprised by grace where someone does something for you, maybe you did something wrong, and somebody extends amazing grace to you? Have you ever been surprised by grace? Uh, years ago, um, I, got a, I came out from shopping at Somerset, <laughs> and, uh, came, and there was a parking ticket on, on my vehicle. And I was frustrated because there were no lines. I was going to fight it. So I took pictures and everything. I went, got a court date set, and I went, and uh, I was all ready with my argument and everything else. I, I go up to the podium, and I kind of say you know, what I'm there for. And the judge says, uh, who was the officer? And, and they said, so-and-so. And she said, oh, dismissed. I didn't have to say a word. I was, I was ready to fight, but she said, okay, great. There's a grace. Like, it's just missed. You don't have to pay that ticket. I'm not sure why. She maybe didn't like the officer that was involved. I'm not sure. But she showed grace, right? There was, there was grace involved. I was surprised by grace. Or maybe grace has been shown to you with um, amazing generosity. Maybe somebody was generous to you with something. It's like, wow, I, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. Uh, one of the coolest examples of that for me personally was years ago, um, a family gathering that we were at, uh, we were t- together for Christmas, but it was closer to New Year's, and uh, New Year's Eve day, a family member comes to all of us who are there, said, hey, I have a surprise for you. I want you to be ready at this time. So we get ready, and we, uh, we hop in a car, we drive to the Fort Wayne Airport, we were in Indiana at the time, drive to the Fort Wayne Airport, we go through security, and then we walk out to a private jet, and we all pile into a private jet. And we fly from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Columbus, Ohio, uh, where we're going to go watch the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, hockey game. And we go and we, we land there in Columbus and we all get picked up in this limousine and we drive to watch the hockey game. We get ushered up to a suite um, in this, this place. We watch the hockey game. We're getting fed all kinds of food and we hop back in the limousine, go back to the airport after the game and fly in the private jet back to Fort Wayne. We get back before midnight even that night. That's one of the coolest things I've ever had happen to me. It was just like, wow, such an extravagant uh, gift of generosity um, in my life. So as we look at this passage, we're going to be surprised by what we find. I I don't know that I've ever preached on Jesus turning water into wine. (laughs) We've probably heard of this, uh, this miracle before. But some of the questions that swirl around in my head as we read this passage is, why was this the first miracle that Jesus did, right? And I think one of the most important questions we can ask anytime we're studying scripture is, what does this teach us about the heart of God? What does this teach us about the heart of God? So you guys understand the context, right? Jesus and his disciples get invited to a wedding. Uh, First century weddings were crazy, you know, we think we have fun weddings uh, when they go for a couple hours. First century weddings lasted usually a week, seven to ten days, sometimes two weeks long. So no wonder they ran out of wine, right? <laughs> so they're at this wedding. Jesus is invited. His disciples are invited. Jesus' mother, Mary, must have been involved in the food preparation somehow. She comes to Jesus, says, Jesus, we ran out of wine. Jesus is like, that's not my problem. Uh, then she just tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So Jesus 
you know, he kind of gets involved in that. And so Jesus takes water, he turns it into wine, they serve it. Um, the, the master of the feast said, this is amazing. Most people serve the good wine first when people are more sober. And toward the end, they give the cheap stuff because they can't really tell the difference. But this is different than that. And what we're going to find is that God's grace is surprising. God's grace is surprising. So why did Jesus do this? He gives us a little bit of clue at the end of this passage. Verse 11 is going to be on the screen for you. He says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. Everybody say signs. Signs. Through which he revealed his glory. Say glory. Glory. And his disciples believed. Say believed. So what John does is he gives us seven miracles as signs that reveal the glory of God or who God is. And this is given so that we would believe um, that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. Make sense? That's his whole goal. John's whole goal is I want to relay this, this information to you so that you would see what I see and believe what I believe. So, What does this passage tell us about the heart of God? Here's what I believe it tells us. This shows us of the extravagant grace of God. Can you imagine for a second the bride and groom of this wedding, right? They invite everyone to come. Everything is going great until they run out. Can you imagine at your wedding reception running out of food to serve people, right? This is what it would be like in the first century. It was an embarrassment to the parents of the, 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 the groom and the bride. So in the middle of this, um, Jesus performs his very first miracle. His first miracle, please listen to this. His first miracle, Jesus' opening debut, his first miracle to reveal his glory, pay attention, was to make wine out of water for a party, and it was really good wine. Does that make sense? I heard some amens over here. (laughs) Amen. And this wasn't just a little bit of wine. I like to pay attention to the details, the nuances. Nothing is random in Scripture. And it tells us how much water was in these water jugs and how many water jugs there were. So it's the equivalent of a thousand bottles of wine. And good wine. And I'm just like, okay, how much money? I'm not sure why that's what I think about, but at $30 a bottle, somebody tell me what the math is on that. $30,000 worth of alcohol. That's Jesus' first miracle. To reveal his glory, God's glory. And I'm going, there's a million other miracles I could think of that Jesus could do. Why is this the one, right? Why does he do this? And I think it's purely a display of the grace of God. The graciousness of God being poured out. In the Bible, wine is often seen as a sign of God's blessing. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, it would say, and your vats will brim over with what? With new wine. This makes me uncomfortable. I grew up in a home where we didn't have uh, alcohol in our home, and I, that's still how our, how our, our home functions. Um, but the Bible, it, it's clear that God is the God of the harvest, right? That God is the God of provision. And oftentimes in the Bible, wine is seen as a sign of God's blessing. So Jesus is declaring to them, please hear this, revealing to them, God is pouring out his blessing on this couple as they celebrate the beginning of their life together. God is good and gracious. 
So if you walk away from this message and go, well, I guess we need to go get some wine, uh, you have missed the point completely. <laughs> well, Pastor Josh said, so no, I did not say that. The Bible is clear against the abuses of alcohol and against the abuses of anything. Ephesians 5.18 is very clear. Do not get drunk on wine. Like, could you be a little more clear? No, that's clear enough, right? Um, which leads to debauchery, which means carelessness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the point of this uh, miracle is not the wine itself, but the wine giver. There are times when we need to refrain from alcohol, right? Maybe because of someone else's struggles or our own struggles, or because it may lead to sin. And, and also, as well, we don't use substances to hide from our pain or from our issues. That's never okay. When we hide issues, they don't go away. They only grow. So we take our issues to God and allow His grace to handle those. So the point is that this is not the miracle we would expect from Jesus. That's the point. That whatever thought or belief you think you have about God and His grace that you would allow yourself to be surprised by just how gracious he actually is. That that is the point. That Jesus did this miracle out of all the miracles. God surprises us with his graciousness. Let me ask you a question. Where do you need the grace of God to surprise you today? Where do you need to be surprised by God's grace? What struggle are you going through? What, what fear, what what, um, what discouragement are you going through where you need to be surprised by the grace of God? For me, if I'm honest, um, I'm probably, uh, the way that this hits my life the most is that I'm hardest on myself. Anybody can relate to that? That I'm just hard on myself. I, that's like, why aren't I better at this? And it's probably personality, somewhat personality and wiring. But I think we can all relate to that, right? We all get hard on ourselves. And as, I, as I'm reading through the Gospel of John, I see over and over again times when God is just surprising us with his graciousness. I think it's good to have high expectations for ourselves. We also have to allow ourselves to know of God's grace. There's another uh, example of this uh, later on, John chapter 6. Um, Jesus, it's another miracle. Jesus feeds 5,000. He takes a little boy's lunch and he multiplies it and God miraculously supplies food for over 5,000 people. Um, here's what uh, a couple of those verses say. Then Jesus, John chapter 6, 11, 12, then Jesus took the loaves. When he'd given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, this is the first like all-you-can-eat buffet right here, okay? <laughs> and when they had, it says, eaten their fill, again, do you guys get the imagery? It says it multiple times, as much as they wanted, when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. Again, I see like the weird nuances in scripture, and, I, and this is one of my thoughts. This is my question, right? God knows everything, right? Then why were there leftovers? Did he get the count wrong? So we, just, we just accidentally made too much. Is that what's going on? I think no, right? Because God knows I think, again, it's a display of the graciousness of God, right? That everyone had their fill, that there was more than enough. There was even leftovers. Like, this is the goodness. Of God. Do you guys ever, like, go visit people's houses, and they, they cook for you, they make food for you? Then they send you home with leftovers, 
right? Like that's the graciousness of God. There is more than enough grace for you. There is more than enough of God's strength and provision for you. Make sense? This is the display of the graciousness of God. Exodus 34. Another example to kind of, kind of drive home the point. When God is having a conversation with, with Moses, and Moses is asking God to describe, you know, God, who are you? Tell us who you are. And here's what God says about himself. Please pay attention to how God self-describes. God says, the Lord, the Lord. What is the very first word that God uses to describe himself? Compassionate. God doesn't say, I am God, like almighty. That's what I would say. (laughs) Like, that'd be my first word. I am God, the all-powerful. That's what I would want to say. He says, I want you to know the very first word to describe me is, I am God, the compassionate and gracious God. I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. Isn't that awesome? God wants you to see. He really wants us to know how good he is. So I wanted to give us some ways that this applies to our lives. I I listed four things. Number one is this. I believe that God gives you extravagant grace when you're going through hard times. When you're going through difficult times is when I want you to picture the extravagant grace of God that he pours out on your life. God's grace is abundant and generous. There is more than enough for what you're going through. His grace will see you through. Number two, God gives you extravagant grace when you're struggling to change. One of the commentaries that I read uh, pointed this out, and I love this fact. I never would have thought about this. But they said, um, they said, great wine takes a long time to ferment. Right? Usually the longer that it ferments, the better it is. It takes a long time. But Jesus bypassed the entire time frame needed to make wine uh, good. So Jesus changed the molecular structure of water in an instant And I believe that he can do the same thing in your life and in mine. The things that we struggle with, I will keep fighting hard in my life to keep keep pushing against the selfishness in my own heart and the pride in my own heart. And I'm thankful to God that at times he will miraculously uh, change something in my life. You guys ever been there before? Have you ever experienced the, the miraculous change of God in your heart and your life? So God gives us his grace when we're struggling to change. I do believe that Jesus can do more in a moment of surrender than we could do in our entire lifetime. Do you believe this? I I often say that God can do more in a day than we could do in a decade. I believe that with my whole heart. Marriage that's struggling, God can turn that marriage around. In, In an instant, he can change a person's heart. That is the power of God. If he can change the molecular, that's a hard word to say, the molecular structure of water, he can change the human heart, amen? He can change yours and he can change mine. So he gives us grace to change. God, please change me by your grace. Number three, God gives you extra extravagant grace when we need strength to persevere. So sometimes change is a little bit slower than, than instant. Change, sometimes change takes longer. 
Um, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul had some kind of a physical ailment, we believe. Uh, probably had to do with his eyesight. That's, that's my theory. Um, he said he prayed three times. To me, that doesn't sound like very much, does it? <laughs> Paul, you only played three, prayed three times for that? Uh, we pray quite a bit, I don't feel about stuff that we're struggling with. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul concludes, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. What he's describing is the fact that even though you feel weak, you are strong because of God's grace. And then lastly, I believe that this applies in this way. Number four, that God gives you extravagant grace to give grace to others when they hurt you. We've had plenty of opportunity over this past 12 to 16 months to, to be hurt, haven't we? Like hurt by everything, right? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. We've all been hurt these past few months. William Blake said, it's easier to forgive an enemy than it is to forgive a friend. Have you found that to be true? Usually it's the people that are the furthest from us that we can forgive the easiest. It's those that are closest to us that it's the hardest to forgive. But I believe that the extravagant grace of God poured out on you means that you have grace to share. You have extras Alexander Pope is famous for saying this. You guys have probably heard this, that to err is human. And what? To forgive is divine. Uh, one of the people who has spoken into my life, and I've shared this quote, if I've ever counseled with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis or whatever, I've shared this with you. Uh, this impacted my life. Uh, Randy Withenshaw, a counselor that I've gone to see on uh, numerous occasions, um, he said this, he said, most, if not all, conflict is a result of unmet expectations. When I heard that, that was like a mind grenade for me. If you think about it, it's true, right? Anytime there's conflict, it's because you had an expectation of what someone else would do, and they didn't meet that expectation. Now, whether that was unrealistic, there's lots of things to talk about there. But it's because there's unmet expectations. So what happens is there's a gap that's created. If you think about any interpersonal conflict, there's a gap that exists between what your expectation was and what actually happened. That's, that's the... That's the, uh, that's, what, that's the anatomy of conflict right there. So you have a choice in those moments what to put in that gap. Um, this past couple months, I've been working on my basement, and I've been hanging drywall, and everyone warned me and told me that the drywall was going to be the worst part. And guess what? It was. <laughs> it absolutely was. <laughs> that was. That was four to six weeks of, of not fun. <laughs> but it looks great. I like it. It looks great. I got it done. But one of the things that you do is when you hang the drywall, uh, there's gaps that exist between the two sheets of drywall, and you have to fill that gap with drywall mud. If you don't, you try to put the tape on it, it'll crack, and it won't look good. So in relationships, you get to choose what you put in that gap between expectation and what actually happened. And you can choose a couple different options. You can choose communication, grace, and hope, or you can choose abandonment, accusations, and distance. You get to choose what you put in that gap. 
And we choose to fill that gap of conflict with grace. Does that make sense? We choose to fill that gap with grace. So here's my challenge. Here's what we're leaning, uh, leading toward today is this. I want to challenge all of us that we would be gracious to others because God has been gracious to us. God pours out his extravagant grace on us, forgives us, is gracious and good to us. And the call to us is that we would extend that same grace to each other. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind. This is one that we have our kids memorize. This is a good one for parents to have their kids memorize. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I believe that there is no reason right now for us to hold grudges against anyone. That we are to forgive. So I think there's two ways to apply this message. Number one, that you'd show grace to yourself because God is gracious to you. Number two, that you'd show grace to other people. That as God has been gracious to you, that you'd also show grace to each other. So here's three questions for you to help you think about how to apply this. Number one is, who have you become bitter toward? I know when I, when I ask that, that question, some, some name pops into your head. The good news is I can't read your mind, so I don't know what names are popping into your head. But I do know someone pops into your head. So who have you become bitter toward? Next question is this. Who do you need to forgive? Who has hurt you or wronged you that you need to forgive? It doesn't mean you have to be in a relationship with that person. Maybe if it's unhealthy or if it's a sinful relationship, you shouldn't be in that relationship, but you can still forgive them. And then third question is this. To whom do you need to show grace? Who needs your grace right now? Who needs you to be gracious to them right now? I would say one of the hardest parts about being a pastor is uh, those relationships that don't go the way that you hope that they would go. So part of ministry is pouring into people, right, and, and caring for people. And sometimes you don't meet expectations. And sometimes there's broken relationships. And I know that I have hurt people. Over the years, I know that I've hurt people whether intentionally or unintentionally, I know that I have, have unintentionally or even at times by my actions, I haven't intentionally hurt them. How do I say that? <laughs> it was never on purpose, but my actions were intentional and those actions hurt them, right? I know that that's happened over the years. It's hap it happens to all of us because it's human relationship. There's hurt that goes on. There's hurt that exists. And what I am so grateful for it's for those people in my life who have not held those things against me, but who have chosen to fill in that space with grace. And, and all we're called to do is do the same exact thing for them, that we would not hold grudges against them, that we would not hold things against them, but that we would forgive them and show them grace. Amen? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And we're going to receive communion today as a way to remember God's graciousness to us. I'm going to ask our ushers to come up and to pass out the elements uh, for us today as well. 
as they do this, a couple quick instructions. This is a chance for you to, uh, to evaluate, to assess where you're at spiritually. I love the fact that you guys are here at church. I want to encourage you to search your heart. Allow God to search your heart. And if, if you feel distant from God right now, there's no reason for you to feel distant, that God is close to you, that he is gracious to you, that you'd repent of your sin and that you would allow God to forgive you. Um, communion is for anybody who's a follower of Jesus, and so we want to invite you to receive that with us. Parents, you guys can use this as a time to teach your kids. If you have gluten um, allergies, the white ones with the white lids are gluten-free. If you need one of those, uh, let one of our ushers know about that. Go and just hold on to those for us, or for a minute, and we'll receive that together as they pass those out. Just take this time to reflect on the grace of God. take that uh, first layer, it's a clear cellophane, cellophane <laughs> layer, and uh, peel that back. This is actually an IQ test. Uh, it's a challenge. So you can uh, pull, that, pull that back and grab that wafer. And uh, let me read some scripture to you. It says, Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may receive that together. And you can peel back that second layer. same way after supper Jesus took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes you may receive that together You guys uh, stand with me. Father, we thank you for your grace. I thank you for what this cup represents for me. Jesus, you died on my behalf to forgive me of my sin. Thank you for the grace that you have shown me. 
And God, help us to be distributors of that grace to others. God, show us how to, how to show them love and grace. Um, in your name we pray. Amen.